The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Oranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, October 25th. I'm your host, Terry Arango, with my guest, Dr. Patrick Schwarz. Patrick is an Associate Professor of Special Education and the Chair of Diversity, Learning, and Development for National Lewis University, Chicago. Patrick is also a part-time Human Services Director for UCP, Infinitech of Greater Chicago, in addition to presenting and consulting worldwide through Creative Culture Consulting. Our topic today is his book titled, From Disability to Possibility, The Power of Inclusive Classrooms. Welcome, Dr. Schwarz. Hi, Terry. You can call me Patrick. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for joining us. And, Patrick, in your book, you cite that, quote, the number of students identified as having learning disabilities grew 242% between 1979 and 1997. So what was special education like 30 years ago? Great question, and isn't that a wild statistic? And when we had the landmark law for PL9142, is um, thinking about that, is that was landmark legislation. And at the time, when we go back 30 years ago, I think people thought the correct way to support students is that you put everybody who has a similar disability together and that you put them in smaller learning and teaching situations so that we can support them together. And since that time, we have found out that there are statistics in terms of where people have ended up when school districts have done follow-up studies where people may be unemployed and don't have the greatest social lives. So we knew we had to look at something different. With all of the resources, you're talking about looking at something different, but with all of the resources that have been put into special education more recently, is it working? Can you please describe the current state of affairs for students with disabilities in our schools? I think what is currently happening in a lot of the school districts that I visit in my travels around the world In many places, I think we're in a day and time when people are, you know, promoting the the status quo and doing um, in terms of the types of models um, kind of compliance rather than best practice in a lot of places. And what I try to do is help school districts rise more to some of the best practices because of the 
results that can happen for students that have disabilities and students within the autism spectrum. And by doing that, I think we can have better futures and better quality of life. And I choose to study success. And so I look at individuals who have been supported in best practice types of models, and I can definitely tell you there are better outcomes and better quality of life issues. Well, uh, you know, I was kind of uh, censured for using the word best or some such in an IEP meeting, but um, can you help me reconcile these things because I'm not quite I'm not as familiar with this topic as you are, Patrick. Um, you talked about a law, uh, PL, some such, and then you said it wasn't working um, because there's a high percentage of unemployment after the the schooling process is over and we had to do something differently. Um, are they doing something differently? What what is what is the law is that they're following? Are they following a law from thirty years ago still? Yes, that law exists. Um, it is PL ninety four one forty two, which became IDEA, and that acronym is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And within that law, it says that all children who are qualified for special education services have a free, appropriate, public-mandated education in the least restrictive environment. And that's a really important tenant because um, what it says in that particular law is students are supposed to be educated to the greatest degree appropriate in general education environments. And I think where it, there's a lot of interpretation is that word appropriate. So when we are looking at supporting individuals is what I focus on in terms of what I call best practice is I am looking at supports that help kids make gains and they are quality types of factors and to me, that's really what a best practice is about. And if we're trying out things that may be successful for a learner, we can also call that promising practice for students. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So you cover nine tenets in your book, the first of which is a diversity is good. How do we prevent or undo prejudice and stigmatization at large and then specific to the school setting? Yeah, that's a great question because I think prejudice most definitely still exists. And I think for me is prejudice is a learned behavior, and the way we get out of it is through education and experience. And one of the things that I do when I go to schools is I, I go into classrooms and do lessons about diversity with kids. And what we look at for an entire classroom is we talk about what do you do the best. So where do you have a gift? And everybody has a gift um, somewhere. And then we talk about what are things that are hard for you to do or challenges that you have. And those might be a disability, and everybody has those um, in some area or another. And we have students think about these things and share. And that actually serves as a great time since everybody's talking about what they do well and what is hard for them is to introduce things 
such as a student who may have autism as an attribute, talking a little bit about what autism is about. Um, we did this with a student named Jason who used some communication supports to do this. And what we found happened with the classroom that he shared this with is students, when they learned this information, were just great. They wanted to be with Jason. They wanted to be his friend. They wanted to, quote, sometimes help him. And sometimes help could be a little bit too much. So we would spend time with particular students talking about how they could be a good friend for Jason. So I find that it's easiest to do when the students are young in terms of combating prejudice, but it's never too early or it's never too late. Right. And then your second tenet relates to the definition of special education, and I think you were getting into that a little bit earlier. Right. Um, I believe that special education is a service to help individuals be successful in the least restrictive environment. So I believe the least restrictive environment is the inclusive education classroom, and that's where we're supposed to start out via law in terms of looking at how we support students and the model that we're supposed to look at. And I believe sometimes if we don't have something such as an integration plan, if a student has never functioned in the general education classroom or a reintegration plan, if they already have functioned there and there are reasons that they may have been out of that environment, I think that we're not always thinking about the least restrictive environment to the greatest degree possible. So I think a lot of my work is promoting how we have success in terms of the general education classroom and the strategical types of supports, such as adaptations for an individual student, differentiation for a whole classroom, and universal design for learning in terms of supports for access so kids can access the curriculum and also be able to participate and be successful in meeting goals. Right. Very good. So really you're only asking people to follow the law. Right. That's very great. (laughs) Okay. And so getting back to the law, we started uh, talking about IDEA. And how does it serve, how do you feel that it currently serves or does not serve students in special ed programs? Well, when you think of this, um, IDEA was a landmark law, and I mentioned, you know, that it, it provided a free, appropriate, public-mandated education for all students with disabilities, and it was very much a landmark law. If you think of um, these days and, and times, that might be a hard law to actually enact because of, I think, a lot of things that are being done to take away um, supports for individuals. But that law still is the law of the land, and it's something that we should be very proud of. Again, I think um, there is some nebulous language in the law that leaves room for a lot of judgment. So the amount of times they use the word appropriate. And I think that's where people have differences in opinion in terms of what should be appropriate. And when um, families and school districts may be in due process together in terms of defining just what that is for a particular student. 
Yeah, and maybe 30 years ago when the world wasn't in, you know, such an economic loo, um, uh, the people who used the word appropriate probably meant it, you know, in a, in a more benevolent way. Uh, but uh, now that economics are so bad, um, it just seems like a lot of the supports are getting sacrificed. Uh, Patrick, why do you think that is? Why? Why? It's such a shame that the first thing that seems to go is supports to, um, you know, special learners and and such. Yeah, I think these days school districts have to um, really look at ways they use their resources, and I think sometimes people associate inclusion uh, types of supports with money, and I think that it really is a little bit different um, than that. And school districts have a lot of things that they spend money on these days, so if you look at technology demands by a whole school district is technology is evolving faster than we can keep up with it. And sometimes I think they connotate um, best practice with always having to be more dollars. And I think that I believe with a good inclusive education program is if we really understand how to differentiate or meet the needs of the range of learners in any classroom is that um, we want to make sure people have the training and education. So I spend a lot of time in school districts training staff to do that is it's not always money. I think it's education and follow through with making sure those practices are happening. And then also we can use our other means of support such as technology that is in school to its maximum extent. I cannot begin to tell you how many schools I go into and I look in cupboards and things such as that and there's technology just sitting there. And I want to help school districts maximize their resources. That's a great point. And, yes, I did notice that your book is very person-first, people-centered. That is a great point for us to go to break on here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Patrick Schwartz, and we're talking about his book, From Disability to Possibility, The Power of Inclusive Classrooms. We'll touch on his other publications a little bit later in the show. And uh, Patrick consults worldwide through Creative Culture Consulting. You can find his website at www.patrickschwarz.com. And Patrick, before the break, we had uh, been alluding to free appropriate public education a couple of times. What is the fallacy of free, appropriate public education? I think the fallacy um, can be the interpretation that we have in that particular law is um, in particular with that word appropriate because there is so much interpretation. And I think sometimes what happens is I find school districts using it to serve what they would like to offer and not always looking at the individual individually. And um, sometimes what happens with that appropriate is there might be a school district that says, oh, you have autism as an attribute. We have a great program that we serve students who have autism rather than looking at the student as an individual. And I try to promote the latter way of looking at each student as an individual and how do we support them to the best degree possible. I believe that in order for everybody to live and make it in the real world, I also believe we need to learn together so we understand each other and that we all belong as members of our community. You know, you made a really great point, Patrick, about the power of language. Um, we should never underestimate the power of the words we say, and they also evidence our attitudes. I, I like how you're, um, well, I'm inferring it shouldn't be we have a great program for autism. It should be we have a great program for you. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, put the, put the individual uh, back in individualized, you know. Um, what are the dangers of segregation? I think what the dangers are, and I'll give you an example, um, because I think this illustrates it best, is I go into a lot of different schools, and sometimes I go into the cafeteria at, when the students are having lunch, and I see an obvious place in the cafeteria where all the students who have various disabilities are seated together. And I have heard some things that I haven't liked too much before from general students in the school is they may walk by that table and they say that's the SPED table, which is short for special education. And I think what happens is the free appropriate public mandated education runs out and these people who are students making these statements about the SPED table actually grow up and they become employers, coworkers, neighbors, and friends. But what they have received is an education that um, says that people who have disabilities belong together because that's what we did in high school. And 
that's one of the reasons why I think there is lack of opportunity sometimes for people who have disabilities in terms of living, working, and playing in the community. Uh, the statistic for individuals with autism has an attribute in terms of unemployment. 90% are unemployed. And I think that contributes to that. That That is a huge danger when you think about that. And I think no family really wants to hear that. No teacher wants to hear that in terms of our efforts that people end up being unemployed and maybe not in the best living situations or part of their communities as they could be, and sometimes not having great social lives either. Well, let's get back to that statistic that we referred to in the beginning of the show. The number of students identified as having learning disabilities grew 242% between 1979 and 1997. So, Patrick, if you're talking about the dangers of segregation um, as impacting employment um, possibilities, then what is this, with with a burgeoning um, population of special ed learners or special ed classified in, uh, persons, what's that going to do to the job market, the economy, et cetera? I think it's not a good way for a country to operate because we have a whole, uh, I would say, group of people, if you're considering people with disabilities, people who have autism, people with learning disabilities as well, being unemployed, is we're not using our people resources the way we could be. And what happens is those people are not contributing to the tax base um, because we've set up this model of segregation, and I think it has lifelong impact. So if we can think of a better way to support people, I think that that is what we should be looking at. No business would accept uh, those kinds of statistics as a measure of success, and so why should we consider that in terms of what school districts are doing? Mm, so... Okay, so trying to change the future, what are some strategies for helping students manage in an integrated setting? And, I mean, you could extend this to a vocational um, situation, too, if you like. But what are some strategies that can be used for helping students manage in an integrated setting? You had a nice story about using sensory integration techniques. What was that, and are there more? Um, absolutely. Is um, sensory integration... I think is a wonderful way to support students um, with some of their support needs. And there is a student that I've worked with very recently, and I'm going to change his name. His name is Jeffrey. And one of the things that Jeffrey started doing um, to students in on the playground is he just started hitting them at random. And, of course, it concerned um, the school and his family and teachers and so I took a look at him, and I saw him as a learner that could benefit from some sensory supports. Um, some of his movement looked like he could um, be supported and maybe evened out in ter terms of some of his, um, I would say, way he was re reacting with the world and also interacting with the world. 
So one of the things I did is I brought in an expert on sensory integration, and um, what she did, it was fantastic. She actually made the general education classroom sensory friendly. So Jeffrey had certain options, but all the students had options, and this was, again, general education. So students had different seating options they could choose from, such as a TheraBall or a seat cushion or a T-square, which looks like a little T and you can balance on it, um, like a bike seat in some ways. It, it uh, interacts with the ground, and it's really a nice support. There were things that students could manipulate, such as widgets or uh, sensory stress types of balls. There were um, tastes that students could experience. There's a really interesting line of research with um, taste and students being aware and able to tackle things with their work. Um, so there are school districts right now giving students cinnamon gum before they take standardized tests because it creates a greater level of awareness. And I think this applies for all students. And then there was something for Jeffrey called a sensory diet, um, which were supports that helped him sensory-wise during the day. And it was really very nice system for him. And what happened is the hitting stopped on the playground because he was being supported in a more sensory fashion. There's another one too, Terry, that I just think is so important is how we support students with their interests and passions. So um, a book that I wrote with Paula Kluth for teachers is called Just Give Him the Whale. And we also wrote a children's version called Pedro's Whale. And Pedro was a learner who really liked whales a lot. And we looked at ways that we could support him in the curriculum and over 20 ways in the school system that we could use whales to help him learn and have a love for school and make school a place that he wanted to go to rather than saying he was too obsessed with whales and we shouldn't talk about whales. Actually, we used the whale as a springboard to help him be able to learn in a variety of different areas. And sometimes with that springboard, we would help him communicate about other areas, but it helped him to start out with the whale. So I believe things such as sensory supports and using individuals' interests and passions are great ways to help support students in the general education classroom. Right, absolutely. That's really respectful of the student. And, you know, for example, if they like textures, you can get in all of your manipulatives in textures. If you're teaching shapes, you can get um, at the art supply store, you can get circles and and hearts and, and triangles that um, that you put beads on so they have that that uh, prickly surface to, to yes. put beads on and make designs. You can get, you know, numbers that are made out of, um, fabric or, or textures, you can, you know, design your whole learning program around manipulatives with textures if the child likes textures, and it just teach colors with colored pom-poms, um, and it just makes it more visually interesting and engaging for the child as well as satisfying um, their their tactile um, interests. So Also, um, Terry, with Pedro's passion for whales on his manipulatives or blocks he was using for counting. We put little whale pictures, and he was begging to use them uh-huh. and um, liking math a lot because he could use his blocks that had whales on them, the manipulatives, and he would also 
get a whale stamp on his paper when he would finish his work. Very, very nice. Well, um, you have given us some examples, Patrick, in the last few minutes about how how hearkening to what would help a particular student um, helped all of the students uh, in the class. Uh, For example, I bet those students in the class where they put the cerebrals were really appreciative of having a more a more interesting classroom and having theraballs that they could sit on and having those additional options. Absolutely. I think sometimes teachers worry a little bit, will this kind of become a free-for-all and will they actually become interfering in some ways with what they're doing in the classroom? And I found what we did is give some rules and guidelines around the use of them for all students and gave some structure to it. And um, students did very well, even at the youngest of ages. Once we gave some guidelines, I think they appreciated being able to use these options. And I think everybody likes to have some options, and it works successfully in every situation where we've employed this. Right. I would think that you'd have a free-for-all if you had 40 board students. Um, so yes. what are some other examples of how helping students on either end of the learning spectrum helps the whole class? I think that is actually a great question. And I worked with a professor um, when I was at University of Wisconsin-Madison, Lou Brown, who was a pioneer for community-based instruction to make sure individuals lived, worked, and played in the communities. And the statement he made is, I believe school districts should be judged on how they address the learning needs of students that are within the fringes of learning. So we would be talking about students who have gifts and students who have disabilities. And um, he said if they're doing that well for those students, they're doing it well for everyone. And really what I see that as is a differentiation approach because differentiation means how we are addressing the learners within all of the different learning spectrum in the classroom, their particular needs. And I think that that is a lot of what I do in schools these days is give um, educators strategies to make differentiation work in the classroom. And I think when people start being able to deliver these types of approaches, they find that greater learning is happening and also scores are going up, which is of concern to a lot of people. And um, there's some great research about that by George and Julie Costin Theo Harris. They published an article in a recent educational leadership about this very thing. And that is very exciting because we do want a research base with what we are talking about um, in terms of successful differentiation, successful inclusive education. Absolutely. And we're going to take a brief break. We will be right back with Dr. Patrick Schwartz, author of From Disability to Possibility, The Power of Inclusive Classrooms, here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Patrick Schwartz, author of From Disability to Possibility, The Power of Inclusive Classrooms, and Patrick presents, and he consults worldwide through Creative Culture Consulting. The website is www.patrickschwartz.com. And Patrick, you have a wonderful point in your book about fairness not meaning sameness. This actually is inspired by the work of Richard Lavoie. And I think to say a little bit more about this particular quote is fair doesn't mean that every student in the classroom gets the same thing, but each student gets what he or she needs to be successful. Hence, that's very much an individualization point. And my interpretation of this is I think we have to get away from the notion is that everybody will learn the same thing in the same amount of time in the same way. And that really is something that we have to look at in terms of making that learning work for everyone. And it's very interesting um, when we look at this. One of the things that I'm uh, supporting schools with is the idea that for any lesson or unit is that we have essential goals, we have expected goals, and we also have um, what we would call enrichment types of goals. And um, I'm thinking of a learner that I've worked with in recent times. His name is Trevor, and Trevor is a student within the autism spectrum, and he has autism as an attribute. And he is in elementary school, yet he is doing college-age mathematics. And it's very impressive, yet I wouldn't trust Trevor to cross the street on his own. And so what an interesting learning profile. So for mathematics, we're off the hook with enrichment for Trevor. And then there are some other areas in the curriculum that we're at the essential goals for Trevor. So we have to really look at that everybody gets what they need, and that's an individualization type of um, approach for students. Okay. And when I read your chapter, No Double Standards, 
I took your point as that the groundwork for improving special ed doesn't reside in the arena of budgets, but that it is rather in the shifting of paradigms and attitudes. So, for example, why do we need special educators and general educators to share skill sets, and how do you go about changing the we-they mentality? I think, first of all, we have to take on the idea that we all own all students in the school. And I do believe in specialty areas, so I do believe in general educators and special educators, yet at the same time, I believe there are some common things that everybody needs to know. So I think we all need to know how to differentiate for the classroom and meet the learning needs of the range of individuals in the classroom. I think we also need to know how to individually adapt for learners who may need some supports beyond that. And then I think we also need to know how to collaborate with all the players on a team. So if you think of a team, it would involve the student, it would involve the student's family members, it would involve teachers, it would involve related service um, professionals, it would involve paraeducators and also um, leaders in the school. And um, we have to make sure that we have collaboration success with our teams. So those are some specific things that I think all educators um, need to be trained upon. And then I think we can get some further professional training about some of the specifics within the particular area that we're a specialist in. And I think bringing that all together and going along with the idea is here we have a school. Here we have all of these professionals who make up the resources in the school. How do we best use that professional base to be able to serve students the best? And what about the parents? How do we teach parents of general ed learners about the advantages of inclusion? I think experiences are the best way. And uh, sometimes what has happened is a parent that might have a son or daughter with a disability has come to me and said, you know, how do we, you know, start getting um, more peer relationships to happen? And I look them straight in the eye and said, throw a party. And um, so your son or daughter has a birthday, have a party, and I think what I've seen happen is people have followed suit. And I think the idea behind this is for families as well as educators and um, parents, everyone, to discover when they meet somebody who may learn a little bit different is once you get to know them, you're going to find out they're more similar than different, is that students have interests and passions and fascination areas, and you can find some common things with students, and then there are some unique things in terms of what students like. But I I think the idea behind this is to have everybody understand each individual as a human being, and that's really hard to do if you're not in the same setting or you're not doing the same social things. Another thing I tell parents and families to think about is arranging play dates or 
social opportunities, and as their son or daughter gets older is working with them to become a self-advocate so that they can make plans with students that they're interested in doing things with, maybe around their interests or passion. You also have a chapter called A General Education Shouldn't Need to be Earned, and in that chapter you talk about the continuum of services, and I think that you started to tell us about some of these concepts earlier, but some listeners might not be familiar with that term, continuum of services. So when we are in a meeting to discuss the child's individual education plan, there's a part of that meeting where we talk about what is the placement for the child that we are meeting about. And uh, some options include, first of all, the general education classroom, so that would be an inclusive education model. Another one might be a resource model where there is a resource specialist that may support the student um, in a resource or special education setting for certain areas. A lot of times we see with reading or language arts and mathematics, and then the student may be um, also supported in some general classes with that particular model. The next model I call mainstreaming, and sometimes people make the mistake that mainstreaming and inclusion are the same thing. So with mainstreaming, one thing that is very different with that particular model is rather than being in a general education classroom as a homeroom as you would be with an inclusive model, is you would be in a special education environment such as a self-contained classroom for the homeroom. And then in a typical mainstreaming model, students would go out for what they call the specials. So it would be physical education, art, music, lunch, and recess would be the typical things that they would be with general peers. And uh, I think the second tier would be sometimes we see students um, in science and social studies, but more rarely would we see students in language arts or English and mathematics in a mainstreaming model. The model after that would be the self-contained classroom. So the student would typically be in an environment with other students who have disabilities throughout the day. And then the last model in the continuum of services would be an alternative environment. So that would be an environment that is different than the child's home and neighborhood school. They would be going out to a different school, and alternative schools typically serve individuals that have disabilities, and um, they might be specialty in some way. So some alternative schools specialize in supporting students who have behavior challenges or um, positive behavior supports, things such as that. And my belief, if a student is any in any type of placement other than the general education classroom, as we discussed before, there should be an integration plan or a reintegration plan for that student. Okay, and how do you suggest that that's accomplished? I think the team needs to sit down and um, talk about that, especially during placement times and with a good support model such as the kinds of things that we're talking about during this interview, such as individualized adaptations, differentiation for the classroom, and access to um, learning, such as universal design. 
is I think that we can look at possibilities rather than saying that a kid could not ever function in an inclusive environment. Also, I recommend that teams go out and visit successful situations where an inclusive model might be happening. I just arranged this yesterday for a teacher, as a matter of fact, um, to go visit uh, an inclusive classroom so she could look at practices in her own school. And I help families definitely as well go and observe successful inclusive education classrooms. Sometimes it's hard to believe something if you don't get a chance to experience it and see it. Good point. And with that, we're going to take a break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll be back with Dr. Patrick Schwartz. Thank you to our sponsor, Oxy Health. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Patrick Schwartz, and we're talking about his book, From Disability to Possibility, The Power of Inclusive Classrooms. Patrick, you've identified the essential building blocks to help learners with disabilities thrive in an inclusive environment. Yes, and um, I'd like to share some of those. So the first one would be attending the school you would attend if you did not have a disability, and that's typically referred to as the neighborhood school. It's a very nice learning opportunity when a child has the, I would say, ability and um, chance to grow up alongside peers and um, go from grade to grade with them. And I think there's a lot of learning and social relationships that can be promoted through that. Also, the next thing is being a member of a general education classroom. And when they are in other types of classes throughout the day is I use general education environments. So all students in the school can learn in places such as the library. All students can learn in computer laboratories. All students can learn in places such as the gymnasium or the cafeteria. There's lots of general education environments where students can learn. And I believe planning solving problems, 
and using innovative, diverse strategies, as we've talked about on the program, are really also important to support students. Making all team members equal is also very important. And I believe that any meeting we have about a student should start out with that student and a report from that student. If it's difficult for the student to deliver that report on their own, possibly some assistive types of technology to do that, or um, teachers gathering information over time in terms of what the student likes, I think it's important to have focus in meetings, and the best focus is having the student give input about their particular educational program. Also looking at trying to get away from creating any type of learned helplessness. Learned helpless me helplessness means somebody is doing something for a student that they could already do for themselves, be taught to do for themselves, or be adapted to do for themselves. And to me, that's the worst disability. We've talked a few times in this interview about behavior as a form of communication. And I think when teams can do that, that's an essential building block because we can really zero in on the best support plan to address that for an individual student. I think also having a lot of things in your repertoire of a bag of tricks to support students, there's great things um, to bring students together such as inquiry circles and cooperative learning. An example of this is Mark, who is a student who loves technology, and he is a student within the autism spectrum and has autism as an attribute. Mark sometimes has had difficulty working in groups, but we made him the media master in a group that he worked with, and it's the role that he most loves. And he created a PowerPoint that has film clips that has moving icons that had a template that I've never seen, and Mark was doing his favorite thing, and the students in the group respected him, and I think it helped him to learn about working in a group, and it helped the other students learn about what Mark has as great abilities, and I think it was a win-win situation. Also being able to participate in after-school clubs, and the most important one is being committed to making it work. There's a saying, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right either way, and that is what will happen. So belief is very important. Commitment is very important. Well, I think that you illustrated um, how a way that we can can overcome labels uh you with the example about mark and you know leading a technology group then they were looking at his abilities instead of his label what's the danger of labels how do you overcome that i think um the labels are very limiting sometimes for students and once in a while i go into schools and they will have a label on a particular classroom that might say LD resource room or autism um, learning center or things such as that. And it makes me sad because um, looking at um, students is there's so much more to a person than their label. So um, rather than saying autistic student is thinking about Trevor, who I talked about, there's a lot of things that make Trevor who he is. So he 
loves mathematics, is really good at it. He loves video games. He loves pizza. He loves soccer. And um, I think just um, calling him the autistic student or just referring to him by a label really does a disservice when there are so many attributes that make Trevor who he is. And also those attributes really are what we want to tap into to help Trevor learn. So I know school districts have to identify disabilities and assess them and label to get funding, but I think it should be left at that level and so not brought into the schools. And the best label you can give a person is their own name. Right. Very good. For the other tenets in your book, From Disability to Possibility, The Power of Inclusive Classrooms, I encourage listeners to pick up a copy. Um, can you very briefly tell us now about your other books and how listeners can obtain these? Sure. Um, there are several other books. Um, one that I mentioned before is Just Give Him the Whale, Supporting Students with Their Interests, Passions, and Fascinations. That's the teacher's version. The kids' version is called Pedro's Whale, and we have ideas how to use it for classroom activities and discussions at home. And then there is another book called You're Welcome that I also wrote with Paula Clute, and that focuses on differentiation, collaboration, and positive behavior supports to help schools be able to um, meet the learning needs of all individuals. And finally, Patrick, in my reading, I noticed that you gave a lot of good strategies to educators, administrators, and others that worked wonders toward helping children and adults with challenges. So how do individuals, schools, or groups bring you on for consulting or presentations? I think the best way is contacting me through my website, which you've mentioned a few times on the program, the www.patrickschwarz, S-C-H, W-A-R-Z dot com. On the homepage, there is a link that says contact, and that gives email address, phone number, those types of things to be able to um, bring me into schools and learning situations. Well, very good. And, Patrick, I would like to thank you for sharing these strategies about how to best respect learners and their right to learn. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I very much enjoyed being part of this show. And again, Patrick's website is www.patrickschwarz.com. To our listeners, next week, November 1st, Jerry Brewster is back with more on our discussion of how the gut is connected to the brain, including a survey of diets. In just two and a half weeks, the wonderful National Autism Conference is taking place at the beautiful and relaxing Tradewinds Grand Island Resort in Tampa, St. Pete. Please visit www.nationalautismconference.org. Thank you to this program sponsor, OxyHealth, at www.oxyhealth.com. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.